Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. You know, one of my favorite times of year is the end of the year. It's about endings we wish to speak. Well, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I love to get with folks who have a variety of interest and are paying attention and kind of just do a kind of a potpourri towards the end of the year. I think it's kind of fun to do that. And uh, so our guest today is not necessarily pushing a book and not necessarily got an agenda other than to have a great conversation. And I hope I can hold up my end because today I'm very excited to welcome to Mysterious Goings On, Emma Alvarez Gibson. She is a writer, editor, creative strategist, and part-time Cassandra. I'm just going to tell her I don't believe that. Then again, if she's a Cassandra, she's used to being told that people don't believe her. <laughs> her multicultural, multilingual, and pathologically curious approach to life informs all of her work. She's the director of strategy and creative with the Kansas City-based BrainZooming, I've heard of them, and co-founder and CMO of the bi-coastal agency Dossier. Her latest project is A Brief Compendium of Cool. Born and raised in the suburbs of Los Angeles, Emma lives there still with her husband, son, and two troublesome dogs. Emma, welcome to this troublesome show of mine, Mysterious Goings On. I'm so glad to be here, Alex. Thanks for having me. Boy, we go way back, but we don't really, let's see, have we ever met in person? No, we never have. Oh my goodness. I know. We, we're going to have to, we're going to have to fix that. I'm, I'm going to come see you, I guess, because I, I guess you're not coming here anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure when I'll be going there. I assume that now that we're doing things like getting on airplanes again, mm -hmm. um, we will, I will probably be out to see a client in your area, probably hmm. by midsummer would be my guess. Okay, I will just say this. I know how crazy it gets when you're traveling. If it just won't work, it won't work. But if you're here and you have a few minutes, let's get together, have yeah. a cocktail, cup of coffee, whatever. We'll even bring that. We'll even bring your boss along if you want. It's up to you. Uh, you know, he doesn't really like to do anything fun. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, I, before we get into some 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 various potpourri type topics, I'm, tell me a little more about dossier because uh, uh, this is a. a a dimension of you I don't know much about. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, sure. So, so Dossier focuses on creative work, um, meaning everything related to branding, whether it's a website, a logo, um, a brand language, content, uh, all of the above. We handle a lot of different aspects of branding and, and brand guidance. Um, and we work with a, a sort of extraordinarily large um, variety of folks. We've, we've worked with um, a very well-known magician, professional magician. Um, we've worked with a now journalist who in his previous life pulled off one of the bigger bank heists <laughs> known to modern hey. history. Wow. Um, <laughs> It, now, both both um, my 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 partner uh, Katie Boyer and I we both work full time jobs. So 
Um, dossier is at the moment a um, something we do when time allows, a little bit of extra, you know, intensely creative work that we do together. And we work really well together. We, we joke that we share a brain. So a lot of times it comes together a lot more quickly and easily than it should. And it's just kind of a magical thing, which is why our, our, uh, our tagline is um, augurium obsonatus, which is Latin for enchanted marketing. I was going to say Gesundheit, but th you explained it. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's it's cool and it's a great website. And if you don't mind, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, people can check it out for themselves. Yeah, I, I think great. that's cool. What I, one thing I think you and I have in common is that we're both very much into concepts of messaging and of looking for ways to try to present people, places, things, brands, companies in uh, the minds of people in different ways. Uh, and so I'm fascinated by this kind of work and I'm delighted to speak with you because I know that I will always learn something. Now, this uh, other thing I want to know really quickly, though, before we really just start jumping into some potpourri talk, this brief compendium of cool. Now, what's this yeah. all about? It's a project that started, um, well, I will, <laughs> I'll say this, as it, as in its current iteration, uh, it's a product, COVID, um, it started life as a book proposal. And um, I had I'd finally finished a draft and had started garnering some interest potentially from agents and then everything shut down and you know nobody wanted to buy any books from somebody nobody's ever heard of. So um, given that a lot of people were, were very kind to uh, send me, you know, to write up essays for me on the topic and to provide interviews, I didn't want to just let that stuff sit on a shelf. Right. Um, so I created a website for what's there now. I, I do hope eventually to still turn it into a book. And the, the idea comes from two things. Uh, one, if you look at the, the um, about page, mm -hmm. it tells a little bit of a story about the first time that I remember encountering something that I would later describe as cool. I was mesmerized. I was not quite three years old. Um, and, and because of that experience, I think I've always been intrigued by what it is that makes something cool, what, what it is that has that magnetic pull that is recognized by a lot of different people in a lot of different places. It's cool as opposed to popular. It's cool mm. as opposed to hip. Because I don't care about that shit. Mm. And, it's, and it's as much an exploration as it is a who's who and what's what. So I... I I continue to um, I continue to build on the the portfolio of what's in there, and I, I do hope to eventually turn it into a book. Sounds like a, a great a, a great idea, and your day will come. I know with that. Uh, I think Thank the you. whole world's getting back on up off its knees and off its back, off its heels, off of things. It's getting off of things. Um, yeah. it's it's getting off of different body parts, as we say here. But no, but uh, no, I, I my first book proposal that started to get some interest, two thousand eight. Bottom drops out of the economy. Uh, everybody's like, forget it. No, never could get it back. But the point being, uh, you will because you're cool. And you know the thing is, <laughs> when you say when you say cool though, you know, you I'm old enough to to think of Fonzie. And <laughs> so, so make so so really quick though, make me um, make the case for Fonzie being cool or not cool. Then <laughs> Fonzie is cool because he he had his own sort of you know code of honor code yeah. of ethics and stuck to it and even yeah. when everybody else thought he was crazy 
um, he continued to be true to himself. I'm, I'm finding that the common thread through all of these things that I think are cool, because anything that's on the website that I'm, that I'm saying, Hey, this is something cool. Mm-hmm. I personally vetted it. Cause you know, I make the rules there. <laughs> uh, so that's different from conversations I've had with people about what they think are cool, but anything that I, anything on the website that I'm saying is cool. Um, tends to contain that, that thread of having a code of honor and staying true to oneself. Though, you know, the, the ding I would give Fonzie, uh, besides his fashion sense, was also that he had a hard time admitting when he was, he was, I can't do it because, you know, Fonzie <laughs> could never say he was wrong. Do you remember? <laughs> yes, that's a huge problem. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Yeah, you can't just like hit the jukebox when you're wrong and make it go. But uh, <laughs> So, you know, speaking of cool, how about something that's been a phenomenon this year in, in particular uh, that's that's kind of, it's cool in my opinion, but it's uh, it's not about a cool guy unless you think about a personal code, which you just opened, opened my eyes to, and that's Ted Lasso. What do you think about Ted Lasso? Oh my God. Let's, let's hear it. Okay. So first off, I have to preface this by saying that for most of my adult life, I have been a terrible, terrible television snob, um, which has greatly offended friends of mine who work in television. And I spent so long sort of sneering at the whole thing that I, I realize now I've missed out on a lot of really great stuff. So mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I, I resisted watching Ted Lasso simply because it was so popular that I thought it couldn't possibly be cool. Yeah. But finally, I don't even know what it was that finally kind of, you know, pushed me into seeing it. I had just decided, okay, I'm going to have to give this a shot. And mind you, this was like two months ago. Um, And my husband, you know, we we were sitting in the living room and he's like, Hey, let's give this show a shot. And I said, yeah, I've been wanting to check it out. Yeah. Let's, let's check it out. Listen, fast forward, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that it has changed my life. Yeah. Go on. (laughs) Um, Here's the deal. And and I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but here is a character who is deeply flawed, who is surrounded by deeply flawed people, all of whom exist together in a deeply flawed occasionally very painful world right and he gets up every morning and tries again and he allows people their dignity he is consistently generous he's got a funny little sense of humor um he doesn't care if he looks like a dork which he often does you know yeah yeah um start with the mustache I mean, (laughs) Um, he remains vulnerable, Hmm. you know, and of course, this is where I'm going to bring in Brene Brown, because also she's a huge fan of the show. And I know she's had uh, Brendan Hunt and Jason Sudeikis on her podcast, um, where she talks about how she's seen every episode three times, because there's so much good shit in there that you miss, she says. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of one of her, one of her, um, uh, one of the things she talks about a lot is remaining, and I'm probably saying it in the wrong order, but it's kind, vulnerable, or is it, no, sorry. I see, I'm screwing it up. It's 
it's vulnerable, awkward, and kind. And the older I get, the more I realize that that is exactly what you need to be. And so when I first read that in one of her books, I went, oh my God, that's it exactly. And that's what Ted does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, just to be completely frank and completely geek out here, I think the overarching thing for me was that it made me realize that for as much as I have prided myself on being uh, open and vulnerable, there's a huge part of me that has spent a lot of time, many years, trying to protect the very core of that. And I think as a result, that made me you know, turn my back on a lot of things that could have been helpful for me personally, that could have been opportunities for me to help others, that could have just been less painful or more fun. And it, and it kind of also brought to light the old adage that what somebody else thinks of you is none of your business. <laughs> and then I'll just give you one more example of what I'm talking about. There's a scene. So when Ted first arrives in England, everybody's calling him wanker. Perfect strangers on TV are, are shouting it at him. You know, people that he passes on the street are shouting it at him. And there's one old man who, even though, even as people get used to him and get to know him and, and are more respectful, there's one old man who passes him every day in the street. Yeah. And says, you know, something like, oi, wanka. And, uh, and, you know, Ted always just smiles and says hi. And so in this episode, Ted is walking with his boss and that old man comes by and says, oi, wanker, you know. And she kind of looks at him like, what? And he says, oh, you know, it's an inside joke we have. Beat, beat. And then he says, it's mostly inside his head. <laughs> And I went, oh my God, that right there, like that is one of the secrets to life. Yeah. That that's something happening with that dude. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging his humanity. Yeah. It's it's a great point. It's a really uh, long a, answer. No, it's a great answer. On so many levels, it's a great point. Um it only took I it took me only, you know, five decades to figure out that uh I like you said earlier, you know, what people think of me is really none of my business. I can't change it. And yeah. I, if I, if I, if I just like been like a reed in the wind, every time somebody blows something at me, so to speak, you know, that's a bad torture metaphor, but every time the wind blows, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, not going to be very successful. I'm just going to just be kind of, you know, bobbing and weaving in the wind and not really, you know, taking my path and doing what I'm supposed to do. And I, I do like that about Ted at first, when I first started watching, I think, God, he's a bit, at first I was really concerned. Oh God, is he like Pollyanna? Is he a cipher of some sort? Right. Is this kind of like, right. a yeah, right. Is he just going to be this? uh slightly smarter chauncey gardener walking around you know and i thought if that's the way it's going to go i'm not going to keep watching but i kept on then i realized it's like you said no he's he has depth he's a human he's got immense uh, personal flaws just like we all do and so I, I i i like that aspect of it and i i'm with you on that and i love that you know the whole cast of characters everybody you know, I'll use this very strong word. I don't really mean it the way it sounds, but everybody's broken in their own way. Everybody's yeah. got their own situation, right? You know, I, I really like the way it approaches that. I will say this, and if you folks, if you haven't seen through to the end of the second season, and Emma, have you seen through to the end of the second I season? I have, yeah. Not crazy about the direction, to be honest with you. Uh, I tweeted about that yesterday, as a matter of Yikes. fact. Sorry I'm about not. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm, I'll tell you if it's okay, folks. If you're not wanting to hear this, I'll just give it a couple of minutes and zip, zip forward. But I, 
I said this, this is what I said in my tweet. Okay. And I got some response that was positive to this. I mean, mostly I said, you know, what, what you know, if, if, if on mash, which is one of my all time favorite shows, if, if, if on mash radar turned against Hawkeye for an entire season, I mean, they had one episode where they had a constant conflict on some of the things that happened, but if, if radar turned on Hawkeye for the entire season and became a bad guy, I think it would have wrecked the vibe of mash. And that's what I think they're frankly, that's what they released for me have done to Ted Lasso. So discuss it. Why am I wrong about that? <laughs> um, I think, <clears throat> I don't, I don't, okay. I think you're right about MASH. Uh, I also know that the writers are furiously writing away as we speak, probably. I think it's too soon to tell. I, I really do. I think keep an open mind. I will. And, uh, and we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. Okay. Well, what's with the hair then? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Not since Roddy McDowell appeared in Fright Night 2 have I seen <laughs> such a bad gray spray job on, a, on an actor. I, you know what? It, what's interesting, though, I, I, I've noticed that since, you know, during, during the course of the pandemic, a lot of people I know have gone very suddenly much grayer than they were. Oh. <laughs> dramatically uh, speaking of on the same twitter feed a, a friend of mine said that about the gray and two guys who were talking to me about it are both men and they're they're one's in his mid 50s one's in his early 60s and they're all with gray and they're like hey what's with the gray does that equal you know is that equal evil come on now and I, was, <laughs> and I said well you'll note that i only have a few stray strands of gray and i do not dye my hair by the way um you don't i oh you are a brat i do not dye my hair of course not no no wow. well you think I do? No, I mean it's just it's it's so not great. Listen, I, I <laughs> she's digging a hole trying to get out. Are you serious? No, 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 no. Listen, I started going gray at twenty two, so I've never. I mean, and I and I started dyeing my hair at like fourteen or something. So wow, um, really? yeah, I'm always amazed when somebody my age or older has no gray. That's impressive. Well, you have the, the see. I would have known that you have these raven locks. I always thought you were just you know you one of those folks who. <laughs> no i'm serious i, I really my real hair that. color is very 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 light it's like uh, light is, light ash is brown. that is that right yep okay well and by the way you're gonna have to send me which headshot you want me to show people on the show notes so <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> choose choose the one with the raven locks i guess not just whatever you want to do no it's funny my dad uh, who's 77 or something like that now he only went kind of gray around the temples and a little bit uh really at all in his mid 60s so i'm probably Whoa. on the same yeah i mean i have a little but it, okay the audience is like alex we don't care about your hair all right but the <laughs> point being okay i'm with you and i'm patient with Ted. and you know you know of course you know this right i'm sure mike's told you this i mean sudeikis is from here i do yeah he, he grew yeah. up literally within a mile or two of where mike lives so mike is oh by the way sorry folks the, the leader of brain Simming is our friend mike brown who is actually the connector between emma and myself yeah. um yeah. yeah he lives not far from this in the sudeikis family still still lives here so it, he seems like a great guy and uh you know we, we've got this weird nice thing here we got sudeikis we got paul rudd we got rob riggle we got all these kind of really uh the guy who was on uh, modern family they're all kind of from this area or call this area you know oh no wait um phil what's his last name i'm totally blanking on his name i love him the guy on on modern family um, yeah she's I'm, I'm i'm blanking on him too he played uh uh cam yeah cam yeah, no, he's great. Yeah, he is great. Um, 
Yeah, I actually watched uh, the live stream of Thundergong on Saturday night. That was great. That's the, um, it's the yearly, I'm totally blanking on the word here. It's the yearly fundraiser for the Steps of Faith Foundation. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, uh, Billy Brimble come and Jason Sudeikis host it. And um, oh, okay. I it that. was so much fun. Yeah. I, I, I uh, first like, Really got to under. I, I never really noticed Sudeikis until he was guesting on Thirty Rock for a memorable turn. He was uh, Tina Fey's character's boyfriend for a little while. Yeah, and he played him so straight down the middle. And I thought, well, that's an appealing guy. And then I then he's on SNL, and I didn't realize that. And my favorite skit of the the past twenty years on SNL has to be "What's Up with That" with uh, <laughs> with DeAndre. You know, what I'm talking about yeah. And Lindsay, Vance Lindsay... is hands down my favorite Sudeikis character. I love Vance so much. He's so committed. <laughs> well that's that and i'll never get over just the lindsey buckingham running joke on that, that particular <laughs> yeah. skit and you know and the later and, and the, oh gosh i cannot dance like that though like sudeikis can do that dance the running man or whatever that is no, I, the, I excuse you that's the roger rabbit that's the roger rabbit thank you yeah. i cannot he does, do I, the, he, he does do the running man occasionally but but his, know, his kind of his signature is the, is the roger rabbit i'm you know i have friends who are dancers and i'm going to have to get with them and say please i've got to learn how to do this it's the one thing i it's the one dance i want to do at my daughter's wedding someday you know that's the one right yeah well you can see me doing it i'm sure you know me a little bit come on I, i'm i'm really looking forward to that well, I'll, if you're not there, I'll at least get you some bid. Um, so let's talk, <laughs> let's let's transition over from from Ted because you know, I used to be a bit more of a TV snob than I am now. Um, but I, I, I want to talk to you about your transition. But I, I just want to tell you something that's happened to me as I'm getting old and and have a gray hair or two or two. <laughs> is, this, is, is, is this? Uh, I don't give. A lot of programs much time i am and i'm gonna i'm gonna by the way i'm gonna like really uh, make, make people think i'm very uh, uh stupid and bourgeois but i i'm three to four episodes maybe and if it doesn't trip my trigger i'm out which is rude in a way and it's silly and here i am i'm also a professional writer and boy i would be so mortified if like people be, you know bombed out of my my books after three chapters but but they do <laughs> but my point is um I went in during COVID and I rewatched Sopranos, loved it, loved it, loved it again. But I tried to watch The Wire and I got four in and I just didn't find it compelling. And I know that's sacrilege to so many people, but I, I got out of it. And uh, that's kind of where I am with several shows lately. I've just, I'll watch two or three and I just feel like if it's flailing, I, I just move on. I, it's not because I am such a, my standards are so high. I think it's just because I feel that I'm at a stage in my life where there's probably more time behind me than in front of me. And I just don't want to waste it on stuff that doesn't engage me. I think that is completely fair. You know, um, life's too short, honestly. And, and it's not even for me, it's, it's not even anymore a matter of, you know, good versus bad. It's just things need to scratch a particular itch and maybe that itch changes day to day, you know, um, and that's very fine. Wise. There's certainly enough wise. out there for everybody. Right. But you know what I used to do that was not a, a, a was not appropriate though is I used to kind of subtly side eye down mouth people who like stuff that I thought was was ridiculously bad stuff and like and that was wrong. It's like you know what if it's like you said if that scratches your itch if that entertains you. Well, I do draw the line at certain things, but I won't get into that here. But I mean, but it, you know, I, I mean, I will look down on you 
if <laughs> I'm not going to say there's certain shows, but if I say it, I'm going to piss off somebody, but there's certain shows that if you, if you tell me that's your favorite show, I'll be like, Oh, how nice. I've got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got to go. I've got to go. Um, I mean, but no, that's, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. You know, well, everybody has their thing. Everybody has their thing. So tell me a show besides Ted Lasso that, uh, that you kind of decided to uh, tip, uh, dip your toe into and you found you enjoyed the, the, the water. <laughs> Oh gosh. Um, there's, there's actually since, since right before the pandemic, uh, I, I started doing that more and more and I've amassed quite a, quite a collection. <laughs> I'm really enjoying, and I'm, I realize I'm the last person to arrive at this party. Um, Schitt's Creek, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, was not at all interested for many of the same reasons. I didn't want to watch Ted Lasso, but finally somebody who's even more cranky about TV than I am sat me down on Sunday and said, listen, you need to watch this. And um, he's what? why? Like, why? I'm not interested if it's not getting me in by the third episode. But because this was kind of, you know, he was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'm loving it. Um, well, I was raised on SCTV. So all I had to know was Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. And I was, I was, I, I did, I'm not saying I leapt to watch it. I knew it would be good, but uh, then I started watching it because my wife would, would, uh, would watch and I'd watch and it, it's very funny. And uh, Levy's son, Dan is, is a hoot. He is. I, I hate, I didn't make it past the first episode the first time that I tried seeing it. I thought I hate all these people. I'm not invested. Uh, I have, I have nothing to gain here. So I had to push past that and, and something, you know, alchemical happened in episode four for me where I went, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, and obviously a lot of that has to do with the writing and, you know, people getting into, you know, feeling comfortable with their characters and, and kind of bringing more to them. Um, and that's, you know, that's just, that's a process. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I totally agree. Another one I, I, crazy super super love is uh babylon berlin i've not seen it oh it's fucking phenomenal what's it what's it about it it's um it follows so apparently it's based on a series of books which i've not read um but it follows a young policeman um who goes from I, I've not finished my one cup of coffee yet this morning, Alex. So my, my synapses are not firing the way they should be. Uh, he, has, he has gone to Berlin, um, sent by his father, who's kind of the, the big chief uh, of the police force in his town. And he's there to uncover a mystery. Um, and this all takes place in 1920s Berlin, which was known as the, the, the Weimar era, mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't really Germany yet, right? It was the Weimar Republic, the Weimar Republic. Um, and so it's this crazily intoxicating mix of noir and music and dancing and fashion and insane grit and like just a, a, an extremely German uh, aesthetic overall. The acting is phenomenal. Everything about it is just absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, it's it's not a an uplifting show per se. <laughs> um, and so, so if that's a, if that's something that you need in your television, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but, oh my God, I loved it so much. I've tried rewatching it um, and just haven't really been in the, been in the right mind frame. 
Um, right. Because I, like I said, I started watching it just before the pandemic. So I, it, things were a little less heavy then. Um, but I, I am looking forward to, to rewatching that one. It's just awesome. Do you think the, is there a character named Dieter who wants you to touch his monkey or is it? Um, no, direction? actually okay. that's, yeah, none of, nothing like that happens. The, the main character is played by an actor called uh, Volker Buch. And he is just a fantastic actor. He was also in a mini series. It's a three-part mini series about World War II. Uh, and the American name for it is Generation War. Hmm. Um, and I believe that's on Amazon. Anyway, just phenomenal stuff. Well, I'll add that to my list of things to check out. Uh, did you, uh, I don't know if you have HBO. Did you go in did you go in for Mayor of Easttown? You know what? I have not seen that yet. And I've heard such good things. Yeah. We kind of resisted it. See, I, those tendencies still exist for both of us, I think, right? You just like, oh, everybody's talking about it. I, I don't know. And then I was like, we had a boring weekend and I just said to my wife, you want to? And she goes, yeah, okay. Which that's usually how our conversations go about a lot of things I ask. Oh but my anyway. God. <laughs> but, hey oh, but uh, we watched it. And you know, here's the thing. Um, uh, Kate, Kate Winslet, I mean, really you, pulls it off. And But it also has an actor I really enjoy. Uh, and she had been, appeared in with uh, Mildred Pierce a few years ago, which is great. Um, Guy Pierce. So I was really, oh, I really he's enjoyed fantastic it. Too. Yeah. Isn't he great? Um, yeah. Did you see Mildred Pierce with her and him? Because No, that, I didn't. Oh, wow. And it's it's hot. And it's, I mean, it's so well done, but it's, it's just hot to me. I just think it's just got it all. So it's really good, but I, oh, I like her. You should, you really should. It's, it's good. Um, yeah. So there's so many of those things. There, there's some stuff though, that I've tried recently, just hoping it would get better as we're kind of transitioning here, but I, I'm not a big fan and you may not even be into this at all. So I'll, I'll make it quick, but just to, to but uh, I grew up on Trek. I love Star Trek, but I cannot abide everything that's come since 2009, basically. And it just, to me, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And I tried the other day to watch season four of Discovery and I, I found it so objectionable. I, I just, I just turned it off and I, that's a very visceral reaction I'm having. And so I'm, I'm, of course I'm dealing with, okay, you're just an old man and you can't change with the times, which is not fair to me, but that's what I tell myself. That's the reason why a lot of people like it. And I don't, I don't know. What, what is it that you find offensive about it? As a writer, I, I'm more offended by the writing than anything else. I, oh, it just yeah. seems like they're just ticking boxes all the time. You know, they're, they're making sure they create characters that will appeal to any substrate of the audience. Fine. But then the, the writing just doesn't seem true to the concept. Um, right. And, and the, it, the spirit of Star Trek, would you say? The spirit of Star Trek is that, but also just science fiction in general. Good science fiction has its roots in actual science and actually, and, and, and it's just because it, things that don't have, to me, in my opinion, and this is very simplistic, science fiction that doesn't have roots in science is fantasy. That's yes. my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Yo, okay. Star Trek is science fiction. And the way they've got it now, it's just, they just throw physics out the window. They just throw basic science out the window. And oh. okay, the one thing I will tell you, I can't stand though. These are supposed to be Starfleet officers and there's not been an episode I can think of yet where one of them does not break down and cry. Oh, look, Spock cried on Trek a couple of times, but that was because he didn't, you know, he could, his emotions and all that stuff. But that was the thing. This episode to me 
it's just a bunch of whining and crying. And I can't stand that. I'm just like, this is, you're a captain of a starship act like, it, you know, it's yeah. just weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't care. And if that's, and, and I've been told, well, you know, you're Gen X and you don't know this, our generation, we express our emotions. I'm like, I do too, but not at work. Not every day at work. They're at work. All right. Yeah. All right. Not, not, not every day at work. That would, that would bug me too. Um, oh, writing is a really important part of, of, you know, really anything scripted as far as I'm concerned. Um, You know, my husband, you know, went to film school and has a film degree. And so he can watch a lot of different movies for any number of reasons. He'll watch an entire movie just for the, you know, the, the production value. Yeah. Then he'll love this. The production values are incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, For me, the writing matters a whole lot, but also I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't think it's bad to say, I don't like this because it's not the way it used to be. That's what you like. Well, and there's a reason why Star Trek's still around 60 years later. And uh, that's that foundation that managed to hold it together all the way up until the, the JJ verse began in 2009. And then the Kurtzman era came back on TV and all, even Picard, who I love, I love Patrick Stewart. My gosh, yeah, the man, yeah. but this show, uh, anyway, you know what, this is, yeah. But I, I, I only bring that up because I have strong feelings about it. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, it, it's just, and, and sometimes I feel a little dumb, even getting so outraged. It's just, you know, it's just a TV show. And, it's, and, and a lot of people I know are kind of roll their eyes at me like, well, Star Trek's really not even serious, um, you know, serious stuff, you know, but I'm like, yeah. Oh, no, uh, no. see, I call bullshit on that. I, I don't call bullshit. think I, I and, and maybe 20 years ago, I wouldn't have. Um, mm. But at this point in my life, and particularly given the last five years, oh yeah, I think anything that brings you any glimmer of a hint of joy, so long as you're not hurting anybody else or yourself, is completely valid. And it doesn't need to meet any particular set of criteria. Certainly, it doesn't need my approval. Um, you know. Uh, I just think life's too short, but I will say William Gibson, uh, you know, lauded sci-fi writer has Mm -hmm. said many times that the way he approaches things is he, he looks at what currently exists and extrapolates into the future. And so that for me, that theme, that thread has to exist in order for me to buy into anything science fiction. There you go. If like what you're saying, you're just throwing everything out the window, then it is just fantasy wearing a, a science, you know, costume. Yeah. And that's just dumb. It is. D- thank you. And any relation? Gibson? Um, Gibson? No, I am often asked that. Uh, in fact, I have a lot of people who follow me on Twitter and then are deeply disappointed when they realize I'm neither his wife nor his daughter. Um, but we have become friends over the years. Oh, really? Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, did he do, did he do Necromancer? What was that? Neuromancer. Called? Yeah. Neuromancer. Excuse me. Necromancer. He did Neuromancer. That's right. Okay. Yep. That was him. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That was his very first novel. Wow. That's why how time flies. Um, he's somebody who's kind of on my, my extended list. I've not gotten to, but, uh, he, I, I fully aware of how influential he's been, uh, obviously brilliant guy. Speaking of influential and brilliant, I, 
I wanted to take a little detour and talked about somebody we both are big admirers of, or at least I think we both are, because uh, there's been a lot of hay made about him a couple of years after his death. We've got uh, the, the new, the Anthony Bourdain first wave of remembrance and um, hagiography is coming out. Uh, I know you and I both saw Roadrunner and I, we've, yeah. we've had discussions offline about this. Also, I just got uh, a couple weeks ago, the Lori Wolliver, uh, basically it's an oral history of him, you know, people who knew him, yeah. uh, her book. And I got it on audio. So I get to hear most of those people reading their, their contributions. And oh, it's, wow. it's really, I don't know if you, you're going to look at it, but um, I found it fascinating, particularly though, I found the parts towards the end about when he was making television less interesting because of course, yes, I'm a, I'm a writer. I found it more interesting about how he got his first couple of novels published. And then uh, they, so a lot of people, very influential people in his life said, you, you've got this incredible voice, but you, the things that really come out alive is when you write about what you do and what your thoughts are on culture and all these things. And that's yeah. kind of where he got to be. So I'm just curious, are you going to read the Wolliver book or what do you think? Um, you know, probably eventually. Um, I'm I'm reading the uh, Tom Vital book right now. Ah. Uh, in the weeds. Yeah. And I'm taking that real slowly, just because a lot of it, I, you know, I think it's is, is still, it's kind of painful, and I think mm -hmm. that probably it's going to be very hard for a lot of people to read it and and kind of come face to face with the, you know, outrageous concept that he was. Uh, a deeply flawed human a human yeah my god um it, yeah i i'm enjoying it i think what's enjoying it is possibly the wrong word there's a lot of humor in it um i'm not sure that the 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 negative aspects are things that should surprise anyone um if they've ever known anybody like him before but i think it, it probably will be deeply unpleasant for, for some people to read who, who kind of had a, a real specific view of him. I really respect Lori Wolver. Um, and she was really kind to me when I, I reached out for a quote uh, for the, the essay that I wrote about Bourdain and uh, right. the, a brief compendium of cool. Um, and I, and I really love that she took that approach to the book um, yeah. because I think oral history is so rich and so often forgotten now um and i just think it's a brilliant idea that she had well i'm not sure that it was her idea to begin with but it's it's a brilliant idea and i i love that she that she brought all that together i do too it, it i'm not gonna lie it was hard to read parts of it and of course roadrunner we we uncover some things i think i was not prepared for the fact that i mean you could tell the guy didn't suffer fools right yeah but but i i was unprepared for the fact that I don't think he had a mean streak necessarily, but the older he got and the more stressed out he got about what he'd created, it seemed to, he seemed to become, well, hmm, I don't know if I'm using the right word. And you know what, who am I to, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that it did change what I thought about him a little bit. Cause I, I'd always heard that whenever, you know, fans stopped him on the street, he would take a picture and he'd be really nice. And, and he was, but yeah people who worked with him, he could have a short fuse with. And I think I, the Vital book, I'm sure you're uncovering some of those, those things. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying or? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think he had a mean streak. I, I'm going to I'm going to take it one further and say that he had a cruel streak. Oh, wow. And I. Um, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a crazy obsessed fan, I, I think part of what appealed to me about him was that I, I, I recognized a lot of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you know, as somebody who is incredibly prone to depression, but also is used to, you know what, I'm going to read you something I said to a friend. Please. A couple of months ago. Let's see. So there was a piece in Esquire in October called How Not to Be Anthony Bourdain. Uh, did you happen to see that? I don't, I should have, but maybe, maybe I didn't. Go ahead. So... The, 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 the subhead of the article is between sawing the heads off live chickens and shooting scenes out of airplanes, there's a grave lesson at the heart of two new additions to the Bourdain canon. Um, and, and it focuses on, you know, sort of his dark side. And what I said to my friend about this was in the months after he died, I watched a few episodes of Parts Unknown in which he was pretty clearly in a very bad place. Yeah. One in particular, he and Eric Rupert were in the Swiss Alps. Tony was being an asshole in this very specific way I recognized immediately because it's a tactic I've used many times. I've used it when I've come to the end of my rope and I'm not only sick of myself and my shit, I'm sick of the people around me having fallen for it and being intimidated. So I ramp up the dark cynicism, getting more and more brutal because fuck it, no one's going to call me on it. And why am I surrounded by idiots anyway? I said, from that episode, from what I'm reading in Vital's book and from that article, I wonder if maybe he lived his last few years struggling not to live in that airless dark space. That's, by the way, brilliant um, self-analysis there and self-awareness that, uh, and I think he was, and probably like you and probably like me, uh, he was probably painfully self-aware in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, I think he was well, maybe, maybe I don't think, maybe I'm asking you, do you think he was afraid of, of, of that cruelty that he could so easily slip into? Do you think he was afraid of that aspect of himself? Or do you think he hated that aspect of himself? I mean, really the only answer I can give is, is I hate that aspect of myself Mm -hmm. and, and I will wield it when I need to. Yeah. Yeah, me too. You know, I think it's just one of those really ugly and and very uncomfortable truths about who we are <laughs> i spent a lot of years working on that um yeah i did a dozen at least and uh, much better and um but you know i found this it's kind of like um it's like a tube of toothpaste and well you know you can roll it up one way and you know and nothing comes out and you roll it the other way but the, the point being is like i it seems that like you, it's a, a tortured way of saying what you just said, which is, you know, there's a, there's a way when it's going to come out. Yeah. Um, you don't want it to, but it, there it is because, and I, I'm too, I'm too old to change completely who I am. Um, but what I was, wh- who I am as a product of my formative years, my life experiences, yeah. my brain, brain chemistry, um, you know, what I ate that day, all those things. Um, but I wonder though that, yeah, he got to this rarefied place and it, there's a thing, there's something that keep people keep saying in the Wilbur book, kind of a, a thing was like, things really changed when uh, he stopped riding in the van with us, when oh wow. he would, he would be in the fancy hotel room and they would be in the motel six. He would have a car that would take him to set when it was time. 
but it, but when they started, he was part of the merry band and they yeah. you know, make, make bathroom jokes and be silly. And he would have an iPod with speakers and, and be the DJ in the van. And, you know, it, it, it was that, but then he got put distance between them. Um, and I think that's part of it too. I think, I think it, <laughs> I, 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 I want to succeed. There's certain things in, uh, that I still have my eye on that I hope to succeed at uh, creatively. Um, but the thing I got to remember is if I do, and a lot of the trappings of success come with them, it's going to create a whole new set of problems for myself yeah. and the people who love me. Yes. Um, and I've got to be prepared for that in case it does happen. The odds are against it, but if it did, um, but I, his is a cautionary tale, I think. And I, I did get one last thing on this, Emma. I did get, as sadly, our time is about up because you're, you're coming back and I don't care, even if you don't want to. You're coming back. <laughs> I would love to. Okay. Cause really we just scratched the surface here, but uh, uh, I did, I did, boy, I think you and I called it a long time ago about uh, his, his final, uh, final love interest, his final lover. Yeah. Um, I don't think she was good for him. I don't think she's good for anybody. I, I tried very hard in my heart to find some understanding for her and I, I can't find it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think the understanding perhaps is that she is a, uh, deeply toxic, narcissistic individual with no scruples. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. It's like, she, it's, well, there's this line, uh, I don't, I'm sorry, it was one of the people, one of the last people who saw Tony alive. And it was right after he'd seen the pictures in the tabloids yeah. with her, her and the other guy. And, and the guy was like, basically saying, I'm sorry, Tony, you know, the only thing I can do. And, and he said, Tony just looked off in the space and said, just a little, just showing a little fucking discretion is all. And he thought he meant yeah. at him. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. And then he realized, no, he's not talking about me. Yeah. Cause he felt humiliated by that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been there too. And it sucks. <laughs> sucks real bad. It sucks real bad. Oh man. Uh, Emma, Emma, one thing that doesn't suck real bad is talking with you. I really enjoyed it. I'm serious when I say you, you got to come back. Um, uh, we always scratch the surface here. Uh, I know. You, I know. It was like five you? minutes worth. Yeah. I will, we, absolutely. This was so much fun. Anytime. All right. All right. Very good. Uh, tell us again, if people want to learn more about you and I'll put links in the show notes, but where would you, what's the best way for people to check in with what you're talking about, what you're doing, what you're Yeah, sure. Um, I, probably the best way is to go to alvarezgibson.com. A-L-V like Victor, A-R-E-Z like Zebra, G-I-B-S-O-N, alvarezgibson.com. Okay, very good, very good. Well, Emma, you know, I, I love speaking with you because uh, I think you and I both are uh, interested in a lot of the same things. We're, yeah. we're also both kind of tours in our own way and uh, <laughs> social like critics, that. social we critics. We should form a band. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> yeah somebody already did it and uh you know exactly. at least speaking for myself that they actually have musical talent which i don't but i wish i did <laughs> emma it's been a delight if you're not the last guest of, of 2021 you're damn close and i can't think of a better way to uh, round it out thanks so much for being here on mysterious goings on thank you Hi, this is Cassandra Lane. I'm the author of We Are Bridges, a memoir. You're listening to Mysterious Goings On with Alex Greenwood. Have you lost your belief in finding a really good mystery thriller? Well, 
Trust me, you've got to have faith. Pilot's faith. Kirkus Review says of the book that Greenwood pulls many tricks from his writer's satchel, has a quirkiness and energy, and snappy, snarky dialogue that keeps things moving briskly. A well-handled mystery with the appropriate twist at the end. Midwest Book Review says newcomers to Pilot will find no barriers to quick immersion in his personality and situation, while prior series readers immediately become involved in another conundrum which tests his skills and the ways in which others view him in his world. Surviving a recent attempt on his life, a weary John Pilot returns to Cross Township, where a bizarre string of shootings has paralyzed the tiny college burg. Pilot joins forces with the law to find out why people are being terrorized in his name and stop it. Unfortunately, when he turns to his family for support, he finds only hardened hearts. People are dying, accusing fingers are being pointed his way, and he has nowhere left to turn. Everything John Pilot believes in, family, sanity, and even himself, are shaken to the core in Pilot's faith. Online Book Club says, It's a gripping and fun story that kept me hooked. Greenwood's writing style is dynamic, and the book reads like a movie script. You can get John Pilot's series number eight, Pilot's Faith, exclusively in paperback and ebook on Amazon.com. And remember, in the end, it all comes down to faith. Pilot's Faith. A Caroline Street Press book by J. Alexander Greenwood. Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.